All right, so um, turn to Romans chapter 5, page 942 in the Bibles provided. And uh, this morning, I just want to share this. this. This morning when a church family began to gather, you know, 7.30, quarter to 8, 8 o'clock, the worship team and the greeters and the folks in the kitchen and the sound booth guys and teachers getting ready. And today I just sense this incredible peace. There's just this peace amongst everybody you know i'm just like hurrying around and i'm like wait a minute everything is peaceful and it was just so awesome like everybody i talked to just seemed to be at peace and uh so it was awesome and so uh and then in the first service there was just this uh sense of praise you know so peace and praise i don't know what the lord has for us uh together uh between now and and when we fish, finish in three or four hours, but um, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> punctuality, Tim. That's the next one that begins with P. No, but anyway, so uh, God's going to do something mighty. You know, uh, Justin was talking about a breakthrough. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's going to do, but uh, it's going to be awesome. And uh, I just want to share too that uh, last week. Um, In the message, I talked about how we um, we trust God's power. We know God can do anything, right? Amen? But often we don't trust his timing. And I, that just seemed to resonate, so I wanted to repeat it. It resonated in my heart, but a number of people throughout the week have mentioned that. And, and so uh, I just want to say that again, you know. Our faith, we have trust, we have faith in God's power, but we want to sometimes take control of his timing. And uh, so I just offer that again. Remember to trust his timing as much as you trust his power. And so if you're going through a situation where, where it looks like, oh, this is impossible, or, or it's not going the way I want, or uh, God isn't moving fast enough, I know he can do it, but why isn't he doing it in my timing? Just let that kind of soak in. Like, wait, I don't know God's timing in this, but I'm going to trust him. Trust his power. I'm going to trust his timing as well. So just some thoughts. So um, so we're going to continue in the book of Romans. And uh, this is so awesome to go through the book of Romans. Uh, probably faster than some would like, maybe slower than some would like. But just going through it in kind of a, a methodical way, and it seems like, man, we're kind of talking about the same thing over and over again. That's good because it's so important. The book of Rome, the whole Bible is important. Uh, this is important stuff. So, um, But as we set out in the book of Romans, we wanted to make sure for this year we're hearing from God. Hearing from God. What is what is God saying to us? So those of you that grabbed the, the Romans journals at the beginning, um, there's about 70 out there. Uh, I hope you're, you're still reading and journaling and listening for what God is saying and writing it down. Um, if, if you're not, you got kind of overwhelmed with life, go ahead and start anyway. We're in Romans chapter 5. Uh, we still, still have more than half the book to go. Um, and there's a few still out there if, if you want to grab one. The last table as you go out, there's four or five left. They're free, just grab one. But um, yeah, be listening for what God is saying. Because uh, he's speaking, right? God is always speaking to us. 
He's always speaking to us. And so when we listen, we're going to hear his voice. So, um, so today's passage is about hope and rejoicing. Who could use more hope? Who could use more rejoicing? All right, so this is a good topic then. Um, God wants us to know that we can rejoice because our hope in him is real. Let me say that again. God, uh, we can rejoice because we know our hope in God is real. All right, so the word hope is an interesting word. Uh, The dictionary definition says, hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for something to happen. Some synonyms for hope. You remember what those are, right? Synonyms. Okay, aspiration, wish, ambition, aim, plan, or dream. So hope can be a desire for something good in the future. So for an, exa- for an example, I hope the Indians win the World Series this year. Okay? That's, that's a hope of a desire for something good in the future. Right? It'd be awesome if the Indians won the World Series. Right? Okay, good. Or, or you can think of it, a hope can be the thing in the future that we desire. So we could say the Indians are my hope for the World Series championship. Now, when we hope in something, ordinarily we're, we're expressing hope in something, but at the same time we're actually expressing our uncertainty. I hope the Indians win the World Series this year. I say that with some uncertainty, right? Because I don't know if they're going to win or not. Does anybody know whether they're going to win or not? Some of you are going like, yeah, I know they're not going to win. So you're not hoping for it because it's certain in your mind. All right, so you may hear a person struggling to pay the bills say, I hope I get a pay raise this year. So do you hear the uncertainty in that? Or you may hear a person struggling in a relationship say, I hope my spouse, friend, fiance, coworker will change and start treating me the way I deserve to be treated. Do you hear the uncertainty in that hope? You may hear or you may make statements like this. I hope I pass my midterms. I hope my parents don't have a fight tonight. I hope my test results come back negative. I hope my boss doesn't fire me. I hope to have a successful career. I hope someone will listen to my pain. I hope God will fix this problem and change that circumstance. All these Statements express a desire for something to happen, but they also express uncertainty. I'm not sure they will. I hope they will, but I'm not sure they will. And so I want to ask you to think for a moment. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? It's good to have desires and expectations, and dreams, and things we're aiming for, and aspirations of a better future. But it's better when those desires, and dreams, and aspirations, and expectations are built on a hope that we can be certain of. And so, is your life built on a hope that you can be certain of? Is your life built on a hope that you can be certain of. And with that question in mind, I'm going to invite Bradley 
Toth to come up here, and he's going to read the Bible passage for today. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Come on up, Bradley. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Awesome. Good job, Bradley. Bradley, how old are you? Ten. Ten. Awesome. So, is your life built on a hope that you can be certain of? Is your life built on a hope that you can be certain of? Today, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. Go back to verses 1 and 2. And and the message was getting too long, so uh, verse 3 through 5, we're going to look at next week. Just wanted to tell you that, because the rule followers will be like, he didn't talk about 3 through 5. What happened? Did he forget? All right. So that's how we're going to go. That's how we're going to roll today. So have you ever gone on a really good trip for a vacation, for work, for an adventure, maybe a trip to the hospital to have a baby like Nick and Brittany took on Wednesday? The kind of trip where you arrive, everything is just like you expected or even better. The conditions of the resort or the campground or the cruise ship or the conference center or the hospital are perfect. The conditions are perfect. And you know, man, this trip is going to be fabulous. Anybody? Anybody ever experienced that? A few of you. God sets the conditions for our trip, for our great adventure. He sets the conditions for our lives to be full and abundant and eternal. He sets the conditions for a life that's more than we can ever imagine or dream of. And he sets these conditions for our great adventure so that we can live that full and abundant and eternal life. So how did he do that? How did he set these conditions so that this journey we take, we call it the great adventure, will be amazing? How did he do it? Verse 6 through 11, just like Bradley read. So in in those verses, we see Jesus loves us. He wants us to have a full, abundant, 
eternal life. Now, I just want to say, when you, hear, when you hear somebody say, Jesus loves you, your eyes glaze over, and you go, yeah, but? What about the rest of it? Okay, don't let your eyes glaze over, because that is the rest of it. Everything comes from that. So, Jesus loves you. He wants you to have a full, abundant, eternal life. So, it says in Romans 5, at just the right time, Just the right time, while we were still weak, unable to set our own conditions for our own great adventure, Jesus set the conditions for us. And he set the conditions for us by dying on the cross. While we were still sinners, it says, he died for us. He created the environment for us so we can step out of our mess and step into the great adventure that he has for us. So there's three conditions he sets that we see in Romans chapter 5. Condition one is that this. We can be saved from wrath by Jesus' love. We talked about wrath, I think, the very first sermon. And I thought, man, nobody's going to come back and listen about Romans because what is this wrath business? But condition one is we can be saved from wrath by Jesus' love. His love for us is so great That he, God the Son, innocent of any and all sin, took the penalty for our sin. His death on the cross paid for our sin. And by paying for our sin, Jesus created this door, this entryway, into a space where we'd be saved from the punishment for our sin. He died so we could be saved from God's wrath. In his righteousness, God must punish sin. And so he did. He punished his son. Because of his love for us, Jesus went to the cross and took our punishment. Condition one, we can be saved from wrath by Jesus' love. That's a great start to our journey, isn't it? Condition number two, we can be reconciled to God by Jesus' death. Before Jesus died on the cross, Every human being was at war with God. And our sins, we talked about this several weeks ago, our sins are war crimes against God. So when Jesus died, the war crimes were paid for and therefore could be forgiven. Has this ever happened to you? A friend breaks something that you let them borrow? Has that ever happened? Power tool or whatever. And, uh, and they bring it back, and, and they're like, uh, sorry, I broke your whatever. And, and what do you do? You say, oh, no problem. Don't worry about it. Because you, your friendship is more important than your broken thing, right? But let me ask you a question. Who pays for the broken thing? You do. No, your friend doesn't. You forgave them. So you incur incur the payment required to fix that which was broken by your friend. You You pay the price for the other person's harm that was done to you so that your rec so that your relationship could be reconciled. And that's what Jesus did. When he died and paid for our war crimes against him. The door was open for us to be reconciled to God. 
for us to have a relationship with God as a friend and not a foe. Do you remember the old army movies where, you know, a soldier's on guard duty and somebody's sneaking up and he goes, halt, friend or foe, right? Remember that? And well, what's he going to say? Oh, foe, shoot me, (laughs) right? They lie, right? It's a friend. The reality is we don't actually do that. You don't say friend or foe like that would be dumb. You have a code word, a challenge, and they have to give a password. That's for another day, though. So that's what God does. He offers us reconciliation. He's offering us a relationship. I think Romans chapter 9, we talk about our relationship with God as like adopted children. So we have this relationship that's reconciled by God so that we can be his adopted children. We can be his friend and not his foe. So condition number two, we can be reconciled to God by Jesus' death. We can have a relationship with the living God because of Jesus' death. Condition number three, we can receive new life by Jesus' resurrection. Verse 10 says, Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today, and because of his resurrection, he can give us new life. The door is open for us to receive new, abundant, full, eternal life. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He rose from the dead and he gives life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So condition three, we can receive new life by Jesus' resurrection. So here are the conditions that Jesus has set for our relationship with him. Condition number one, because Jesus loves us, He paid for our sins so that we could be saved from wrath. Condition number two, because Jesus died for us, we can be reconciled with God and have a relationship with him. Friend, not foe. And condition three, because Jesus is alive, we can have real, abundant, and eternal life. So Jesus is offering a great adventure where we are saved from wrath, reconciled to God, and living real, abundant, and eternal life. His offer is one of authentic love and an adventurous life. And we can be certain of these conditions, and here's why. God has set these conditions. They're all tied to Jesus' death and his resurrection. And when did that happen? In the past. It's already happened. So our hope in the conditions that God set for us are certain because they've already been set. Now, if I say to you, who won the World Series last year? Who? Really? Oh, man. If I said, you know, I hope that Boston wins the World Series in 19, I'm sorry, 2018, you would say what? They already did. And I would say, my hope came true. See how I did that? So when we say, I hope Jesus saves me from wrath, reconciles me to God, and gives me life, you would say, he already did. And I would say, awesome! 
my hope came true. See, we can have a hope that is certain. Amen? In verse 9, Paul describes the three conditions. And he says these three conditions are a result of being justified by the blood of Jesus. So verse 9, it says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's condition number one, saved from wrath. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, there's condition two, reconciled to God. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There's condition three, saved by Jesus' life for life. So we have a certain hope in the conditions God has set for our great adventure because of his death, Jesus' death and resurrection. We're justified, Paul says, by the blood. So is your, hope, is your life built on a certain hope? Now, in the previous chapters of Romans, Paul talked about justification as, uh, as being justified by faith, right? So today it's justified by the blood of Jesus, but so far, coming up to this, one through chapters 1 through 4, justified by faith. So we said justification is God's response to our faith. And when he justifies a person who has believing faith, then he forgives their sin, and he makes them righteous. This is justification by faith. So Jesus sets the conditions for our great adventure by justifying us by his blood. And this happened in the past. Then in the present, we respond with believing and trusting faith. And we're justified by, by faith justified by faith. So justified by the blood, the past, justified by faith, the present. Have you ever been in a situation where all the conditions for whatever experience you're about to experience, you go on a trip or, or whatever, uh, if, if, have you ever been in a situation where all the conditions are perfect, absolutely amazing? Man, this is going to be an awesome time at round one or, you know, zip lining or whitewater rafting or camping or sitting in the recliner, whatever. All the conditions are perfect. Have you ever been in that situation? And then you ruin it? I, I've done that once, twice, a whole bunch of times. One time my family and I, Betsy and the kids, who remembers the big blue bus that said Riverview Church on it? That belonged to the French family. We never quite got it off. You remember, Michael? All right, so we had, yeah, you remember it. Yeah, some of the young people that were in the youth group remember. So we had this big blue bus, and we're, we're off on a, on a great adventure. And uh, first day, and we get to the, the um, stop, and we get out, all six kids, Betsy and I, and, and some of the kids go to the bathroom, and some of the kids get in line with me for lunch, and and, and we get our lunch, but they didn't tell us what they wanted, and so I couldn't order that. So, well, Betsy will order it when they come out. And 
So they come out. But in between the time, I ordered lunch for the kids that were with me. And Betsy came out of the bathroom. Like 10 tourist buses showed up. And so there's 100 people in line when Betsy and the other kids come out of the bathroom. And I'm like, there goes our timetable. And I got really angry way over the top angry like why didn't they give us the order why did they go to the bathroom first and so so we get our food you know the second phase gets their food we get to the van everybody gets in i'm just angry ridiculously angry and we're driving down the road and i'm like where's the chicken where's my chicken and and it's like silent and it's like you know the kids are like oh you want some of mine dad and and I'm like, where's the chicken? What happened to the chicken? And, and I find out, I don't know, years later what happened to the chicken. Nobody would tell me. I had put the chicken on the hood of the van and drove off. The conditions were set for this amazing adventure. And at least for several hours, I had ruined it. And this is like justification by Jesus' blood and by faith. The conditions are set for our great adventure. Saved from wrath, reconciled to God for this beautiful relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And given new life. And then we mess it up. Because our believing, trusting faithful faith wavers and we turn our great adventure into a great disaster because we put our hope in other things or other people instead of the Lord he set the conditions for us and he calls us to walk with him by faith we're forgiven we're made righteous by the blood of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And by our faith in Jesus, we're justified. So what happens when we respond in faith to the Jesus has set and we're justified by his blood and by our faith? So when we're justified by his blood and by our faith, we have, it says, peace with God. The war is over. God is not mad at us. God will not make <laughs> us pay eternally for our sins. God wants what is best for us. And he knows what is best for us. And he has the power to do what's best for us. And he does it in perfect or the best timing. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're justified by his blood and by your faith. You have peace with God. Peace with God. Peace is an amazing thing. When we lived in Germany, I was stationed, we were stationed in Germany. November 1989, something amazing happened. You know, the Cold War. I mean, we were, everybody was locked and loaded, ready to go to war. Okay, I knew where my battle position would be. I walked the ground. I knew the fight we would fight. Everybody had those plans. We had war plans that we practiced. And then one day in November, the war ended. The Berlin Wall came down. 
all the East German guards disappeared. The Soviets began leaving, e leaving East Germany. East Germany and West Germany over a few years became one country. The war was over. There was peace. It was, it was an indescribable thing. We're like, what do we do now? The war is over. If you're a follower of Christ, the war is over. Any battle you may be waging with God is a battle you're waging. God is no longer waging a war with you. You have peace with God. He has given you a peace treaty. And maybe you're thinking, Tim, I don't feel this peace with God you're talking about. It's there. You have to step into it. Get alone with God. Read about peace in his word. You know, when Jesus came to his disciples, after he rose from the dead, Jesus in the flesh, and yet had the power to walk through walls, right? He walked through this wall into this room where the disciples were locked in. And what did he say? The first thing that came out of his mouth, he said, peace to you. <coughs> Justified by the blood of Jesus and by your faith, the war is over. You have peace with God. So when we're justified by his blood and by our faith, we have peace with God and we have access to God's grace. We have access to God's grace. I want to play a video that describes grace way better than I ever could. So let's watch. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, and, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. 
and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter, you said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Grace is God's unmerited favor that makes the unforgivable forgivable. And as followers of Jesus, we have access, it says, to this grace. We have access to God's grace. Did you hear the news? Canada's leading cryptocurrency exchange company has, ha has said it cannot repay $190 million to clients because its founder died with their passwords. No one else has access to the computer that stores the cryptocurrency. Now, I don't get the whole cryptocurrency. If you do, you're a genius. But, but somehow, everybody's codes are on this laptop, and the only person who knows the, the passwords to the laptop is dead. The money's there, but no one has access. Paul tells us that we have access to God's grace, his unmerited favor. Can you imagine if God was like, yeah, I got all this grace, no one gets access. But he gives us access. He loves us. He's for us. He knows what's best for us, and he, and he does what's best for us. And he loves us not because of what we do, but because of who he is. So we have, so there must be a password if we have access. Let me give you the password to God's grace. Are you ready? It's all caps. It's one word, faith in Jesus. That's the password to access God's grace. Faith in Jesus. And you know what's cool about that password? Is God wants you to share that password 
with everyone you know. God doesn't say, don't tell anybody the password. Keep it a secret. Take it to your grave. No, he says, tell everybody. Give the password to everybody. Faith in Jesus. So when we're justified by his blood and by our faith, we have peace with God. We have access to his grace. And then it says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we can translate rejoice with the word boast. We can boast in our hope of the glory of God. And boasting means the way John, uh, Paul wrote it is followers of Jesus, we are joyfully and, co- and joyfully confident, joyfully confident in the glory of God. And in this passage, the glory of God refers to when we will be fully in God's presence in heaven, completely free from sin and death, no more weeping, no more pain, no more suffering. When you hope for something, when do you rejoice? When you receive it. I hope the Indians win the World Series in 2019. I will rejoice when? When they win the first game? Second game? Third game? See, I know my baseball. They play four games to win the World Series. Four games. That's when you rejoice, when whatever you hope for happens. In verse 2, Paul tells us that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not because it has already happened, but we are certain it will. So as believing, trusting, faithful followers of Jesus were justified by his blood and by our faith, and so we can rejoice in the certainty of the glory of God that we experience today in part, so we know our hope is real today, and we can rejoice with certainty of the glory of God that we will experience in all its fullness one day in the future. So it's like this. Have you ever been driving country road, middle of nowhere, and you look down and you notice the fuel light is on? Has that ever happened to anybody? And, and the really terrible thing is, is you don't know when it came on. Right? It doesn't ding. It just like silently pops on. Why don't they have a warning light? Almost out of gas. No, just this little light pops on. And so you're driving and, and, and you look down and the light's on. And, and what do you say to yourself or to your, to your person who's sitting in the car with you? You say, I hope we make it to the gas station. Right? And you say that with great uncertainty. Because you don't know how long the light's been on. And it used to be you didn't know where the next gas station was, but now you can do the Siri thing. So your hope is uncertain. But how about this? Your same conditions, you're driving down the road, uh, country road, and you look down and your fuel gauge is at three quarters. (coughs) You don't go, oh, I hope I make it to the next gas station, right? Because you know you will. Because you got plenty of gas. See, and this is... The difference between a hope that is uncertain and a hope that is certain. 
The hope we have in Christ is like looking down, seeing your tank three quarters full and knowing you will get to the next gas station. Hope without Christ is like looking down, seeing the gas light on and going, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. I'm going to run out of gas. Is your life built on a hope that you can be certain of? Jesus offers us a certain hope. Includes a relationship. It includes new, real, abundant, eternal life. And this hope is certain, even in the midst of trials and suffering. And we'll talk about that hope next week, verse 3 and 5 through 5. So, is today the day to put your hope in Jesus? He's offering a relationship of peace and grace and hope in his glory. Is today the day to renew your hope in Jesus? You're a follower of Jesus, but you have begun to put your hope in other things. Your job, or your abilities, or the people around you, whatever it might be. Is today the day to renew your hope in Jesus? Let's pray. As we get as as we begin to pray, I just want you to think about the initial question. Is is your life built on a certain hope? Is your life built on a certain hope? What are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? Who are you putting your hope in? Maybe as you answer those questions. You're thinking, I need to put my hope in Jesus. I need to renew my hope in Jesus. If you are at that place, then just tell him, Jesus, I need to put your hope, put my hope in you. And so, Lord, I just lift up my brothers and sisters in this room, in this building. Lord, we are going to hope in something or someone. And Lord, we thank you that you set the conditions for a life of a full and eternal life, a life of great adventure. You set those conditions and you invite us to that life. Lord, we want to respond want to put our faith in you, want to put our hope in you, and we want to be on the path that you've set before us. And so Lord, help us, help us today as we finish this gathering together, help us today to put our hope in you and no one else, put our hope in you and nothing else, so that our hopes line up with the hope that we have in you. Our dreams are your dreams. Our aspirations are your aspirations. The direction we head in in our life is the direction you point us to. Or we know that you've given us dreams and hopes and desires. Lord, we want them to be completely in line with you. So we put our hope in you first. So that you can speak into our life and direct our steps. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.